Hi, ladies. Welcome. Um, it's really nice to be here with you. I know it's via uh, video, but um, I'm excited to join you, and I'm sure you've been blessed so far. Um, we're going to go ahead and pray, and we'll be looking at this section of our conference today. So join with me in prayer, please. Lord, we ask that you would bless this part of the day. We believe, God, that you have truly prepared for us a table in the presence of our enemies and that we have enemies and that, Lord, you provide this table so that we can consume and feed and be nourished by it so that, Lord, we are not overtaken by our enemies. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a great and uh, sensitive spirit to what you're saying through this study. We ask, Lord, that you would send out your light, send out your truth, and let them lead us to this, this hill, this upward call of God in Christ. Let your word take us um, higher in this walk with you. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to have humble minds and that you'd help us to be very open, that we'd have good soil so that the seed of your word would go forth in our hearts and produce fruit that would remain. Father, that you would be glorified, that people wouldn't even remember where this conference was, who any of the speakers were, but we would all remember what you said and that your word would be valued, esteemed, heeded to, reverenced in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we've been uh, going through some different uh, topics today. We've been talking about being ready. We've been talking about uh, your response. And this particular session is focusing in on my resolve. And, you know, resolve, we don't use this word a lot, but I like it. You know, it just really has to do with being resolute. It's, it's resolving to stay in, in a certain um, pattern or go in a certain direction, and there's nothing that's going to interrupt that. And this is what this section is about, is like maybe you, you know, you've gotten ready, maybe you've went ahead and know what your response should be. And maybe even get excited and you give the right response, but resolve is what really has to do with being consistent and uninterrupted and really not allowing anything to hinder you in that area. If you open your Bibles, please, to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. I'll wait for you to get there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here, uh, the Lord, through his servant Paul, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we're going to go ahead and read verse 2 as well. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, you know, Paul talks, this isn't to the Romans, 11 chapters worth of incredible truths about the gospel and, and things that have been given to us in Christ and helping us understand that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life and explaining to us that everybody has fallen short of the glory of God and then going through things that nothing can separate us from the love of God and all things are working together for our good. He goes through the explanation of the gospel, the explanation of us and what God did and everything that we have in Christ 
And he gets to Romans 12, and he starts out with, now that I've explained this to you, I beseech you. And we don't use the word beseech a lot in English. I, I think we should. I think as parents, this might be a better word when you've asked your child to do something over and over again, and they're just not doing it. Or it's something of high priority that we want them to do. Instead of just saying, I really think you should, we should start using, I beseech you, clean your room. Or I beseech you that you don't get involved in that particular activity. Beseech is a strong emotional, relational word. And he says, I beseech you. It means to beg, to implore, or to strongly urge. It's, it's almost as if it's a matter of life and death. Like, I beseech you, please don't do that. Don't commit suicide. Don't kill that person. I mean, that's the kind of situation you would use the word beseech with. And he's starting out telling the believers then, and telling the believers now, he says, I, I beg you, I beseech you to respond to everything that you've heard. And remember that, you know, these are Gentile believers. These are Romans. These are people that live in Rome in this environment where man is exalted, where the arts are exalted, where, where sexuality is embraced in whatever form you'd like to express it in. And he's talking to them. He goes, I'm begging you in the midst of your environment, based on what you know we have in Christ, he begins to beseech them. He's talking to them in the midst of when there's uh, philosophers and, and, and education is, is highly touted and being in a place of architectural design and man's accomplishments. He's saying, listen, believers, listen to those of you who have been called out from the world, who are now naming the name of Christ. He begins to beseech them. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the first thing he says is, he tells them to present your bodies. These believers and we are being told by God through the written word of God that we are to present our bodies that you know, we're supposed to bring our very beings and who we are by our own will, by our own yielding. It doesn't say, I beseech you, let God just take your body and, and, and make you do things. It says, no, no, I'm begging you that you come into a place where you realize that you need to come before the Lord and present yourself before the Lord. Our lives, our identities, our very beings, that we bring them before him to be acceptable to God. That when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we were supposed to have given our lives to Christ. It wasn't time to join a church. It wasn't time to get a new bumper sticker. It wasn't time to just learn new songs and stop doing wicked things because they're not real good for us. But we gave our lives to Christ. And he's saying because of all this Present your bodies acceptable to God. Take your lives and say, here I am, front and center. I am yours. I have been bought with a price. It's now supposed to be God's agenda and his kingdom that we are to be concerned above all else. We present our bodies to God. You know, some people use this as 
something they do with their devotions in the morning. They, you know, come in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. I just, I present my body to you. I present my members. That's another scripture. And members mean just every part of your body. Like, Lord, take my eyes and my mind and my ears and my hands and my sexual um, identity and organs and my arms and my feet and, you know, everything about me, it, it's yours. And he's saying, I beg you, you need to present this. You can't hold back that really after all God has done for us, after all Christ, look at, he gave his very body. He gave every last drop of blood. And here it's saying, I beseech you that you present, that you come to attention before God and say, I am here at your service. This life isn't mine. Here is my body. Move me wherever you want me to move. If I have sexual inclinations that might be against your word, then I present that to you and ask you to help me not to sleep with my boyfriend before I'm married, that I wouldn't get involved in homosexuality, even if I'm attracted to the same gender, that I wouldn't commit adultery on my husband just because I, I really feel loved and accepted by that man, that we present our bodies acceptable to God, that that is a key uh, urging that the Holy Spirit is doing through Paul, through the Spirit, saying we need to present our bodies to him. We need to know that he owns us. It is he that we have given our lives to when we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I fear in these last days that people are confused about what it means to become a Christian. That some people think it means to just be politically conservative or to be moral beings. But really, from the very beginning, people would drop their nets and follow him. They'd leave the tax collecting table and follow him. They would leave everything and say, wherever you want to go, show me where you are. Where you go, I will go. That there was a reckless abandonment to Jesus as Lord. And that has always been the standard for what it means to give our lives to Christ. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. If we're truly His disciples, if we are truly His servants, if you and I are His vessels, then we need to present ourselves before him, realizing that he deserves complete authority over our lives, that we trust him, that we believe him, that we are yielded to whatever he wants to do with our lives. We've handed over our lives, the deed to our lives to him. We said, here, I'm not going to own my life anymore. You gave your blood, you bought me. Here, this is the deed to my life, my being, my body. Now we can look at ourselves kind of like we're renters in our lives. We're kind of, we don't really own our lives anymore, but we've been allowed to live there. And really, if we know that, then we know that as renters, you don't have authority over that property, even though you take care of it, even though you enjoy it, even though you're living there, you don't have the authority. You know that the landlord, the one who owns the property has the authority. And that's the way we were to live in these last days, knowing that he has the authority of our lives and we are like renters. So it's important for us to realize that if you 
say that you are his follower, if I say that I've given my life to Christ, we're really supposed to have given our lives to Christ. And that's why many in these last days, they're, they're um, burning out and they're going back to the world because they really didn't give their life to Christ. They just wanted the benefits of, of getting into heaven without surrendering everything to the Lord. And that just isn't going to cut it, especially in these last days. We have to be all or nothing. Jesus told us that. He said, you either need to be hot or you need to be cold. Or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't rude. It was just saying that there is no middle ground. You can't have a little bit of Jesus. That's not what Christianity is as defined by him as defined by his disciples, as defined by the teachings of the word of God. Sure, our culture may say things, our denomination may say things, our group of Christian friends may say things, but none of that defines what it means to really follow Christ. Christ defines what it means to follow him. And so we need to look at ourselves, kind of like we're renters. We still get to live in our bodies. We still get to enjoy things. We get to use our gifts. Um, it's great. Life is a blessing, but we don't own ourselves any longer. And, you know, some of us feel frightened by that, but I think we can feel safe by that because if I knew that in my house was bought by somebody who really loved me and who was able to fix anything at any time and who wasn't going to do anything to the house that wasn't going to be for their profit, I wouldn't mind being a permanent renter, <laughs> especially when I don't really have to pay for it. And really, when he took over our lives, when we give our lives to him, he's in charge of our lives. I was just telling my husband today, I said, you know, I really like having Christ in charge of my life because even though I'm 52 years old and I have a lot of responsibility and I have decisions to make, I still feel like I have a daddy who's in charge of my life and making decisions way beyond me and, and causing my life to go in directions I might not have chosen because he knows options that I don't know. And it, it's just fun because I trust the Lord. And I know when he takes me in a direction, as much as he has his kingdom in mind and his glory in mind, he always has my good in mind as well. I think I have my good in mind, but you know, I'm tainted. I'm tainted by my finite mind. I'm tainted by um, still sinful ways of thinking that I don't even recognize or a value system that hasn't been completely um, revamped by his, his, his word and his spirit yet. So I don't look at things in a perfectly righteous way, but he does. It says in Psalm 123 verse 2, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Present your bodies. I love this verse because it's talking about, and most of us don't get this because we don't have servants like this, um, but back then, if somebody was a servant and they kind of belonged to the family, maybe they were from a foreign land or they were um, brought in um, to serve, that they were part of that serving class, they would like sit in the room with their master and in this case, it's really neat because um, it's the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress. So you picture like this woman, uh, uh, we'll say she's a great master. I mean, she's not like an abusive master, just 
different socioeconomic standards. Don't look at like slavery. It's just this person worked for this lady and got housing and everything for her. And this lady would be sitting there, the, the, um, the, the mistress, the master, and there would be this, this maid, this young girl that was supposed to tend to her. And the young maid would sit in the room and what she would do is, you know, she wasn't texting, she wasn't looking around, she wasn't like whatever. Her eyes would be on her mistress, the master, the lady in charge, to just see if at any time she needed anything, if she could make her more comfortable. And the mistress that was over this maid would, um, a maid here doesn't mean like a house cleaner, like a young girl. She would just have to look in a certain direction and they had such a close relationship that the servant girl would just know what her uh, mistress needed just by the glance of her eyes. But she knew that because her eyes looked at her mistress's eyes, at her master's eyes. And it's saying, that, I'm gonna read it again because I love it. It says, as the eyes of servants, like a male servant looked to the hands of their masters, and as the eyes of a maid, a young girl, a servant, looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. So if they would look or if they put their hand in a certain direction, they would just know. And that's how we're supposed to present our bodies ready. Lord, what do you have? Where would you lead me? What do you want me to do? And we have to get to the point of reckless abandonment in these last days. There's no time to negotiate with God. It's it's not really a good place to be anyway. It's better to just surrender because there is no one that has ever or will ever be able to make the best decisions for our lives than the very God who didn't withhold his only begotten son but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? It's such a precious verse. So even though he has truly bought us, he does continue to use our will. You know, we're not puppets. And, and that servant girl in the corner isn't, doesn't have a leash or there's no whip. There's a relationship. There's a sensitivity to what the master wants. And that's where he wants us to be, in a continued state of surrender and readiness to him. I know that with this cancer early on, you know, I was a little overwhelmed by the whole situation. And I remember thinking, I could never go now to another country where there was no medical care because what if something happened to me, I needed medical care. And I really felt that, and you know, I still feel that. But I really had to come to the point where I said, you know what, Lord, if you sent me to another country and there was no medical care for the cancer, and I died of cancer in that country, then that's the country you designed my departure from and you didn't want me to go through any more medical care. I mean, that's a hard thing to reconcile, but I kind of, you know, I had to, we don't always get to that surrender immediately. But I realized, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I die here or I die there, I die at 85 or I die at 60. It's, my death isn't as important as what I did while I was living. And really, I gave my life to Christ at 16 years old. And ever since then, as I've continued to present my bodies, this living sacrifice and be yielded to him. He has only built my life in a way that nobody could have ever built it. That the winds have blown on my life. The floods have risen. The rain has beat upon it. But you know what? 
it has stood. And not because I'm all that, but because he has built my life. And I'm so thankful because as these end times get harsher, as we're more and more tested, we have to make sure we're building according to his code, that we're surrendered to what he says to do and what he says not to do, not for salvation, but for the very substance and the ability to weather the things that are going to come upon us in the last days. We must resolve to be in a place of being set apart for him by presenting ourselves to him, not arguing and wrestling, no, I don't wanna do it, but present yourself, I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Yes, sir. Yes, daddy. That we would be so ready in season and out of season that we present ourselves to him. He says that we should be a living sacrifice. And I, I'm going to go on to the next word there in Romans 12, 1. It says holy. Now, holy. This is such a holy word, isn't it? It sounds so religious. And the reason why it sounds religious is because in English and in the American culture in particular, we don't really have anything that's synonymous with this word in our culture. It's kind of been relegated to meaning something kind of religious or something beyond, you know, the everyday thing, kind of pious and things like this. But the word holy isn't really just that. And if we get a hold of what this means to present my body and my life as holy to the Lord, we might better understand these last days how to maintain our resolve and know why we're doing what we're doing and why we're not doing what we're not doing. This word is really difficult for us, but in the simplistic definition of the word, I'll just tell you it's, it means set apart. So what? What does that mean, set apart? It doesn't really mean a lot, but let me rephrase it. The word holy here means that something is not common. Something is not to be used in an average way. So being holy, when we say I'm gonna present my life, my body, my entity, my, my whole future, my personality, who I am, I'm gonna present my body holy. We're saying that we haven't been called, nor do we think our lives are just supposed to be humdrum and what everybody else is doing that we're supposed to know that when that blood covered our sin, when Christ came into our hearts by faith, when we were born again by the Holy Spirit, we changed from being common to being holy. We changed from being just an average human to being a life that is supposed to be separate and different, and not just different in like a weird way, okay, but different in a way that deserves some sort of admiration or respect or a way of looking at something going, oh, no, that's just not, uh-uh, you know, it's just not, you know, kind of like you ever see a lady's ring that's like totally huge. They have this like, you know, really radical diamond, and you look at the ring, and you don't go, oh, yeah, that's a nice ring. You go, oh, my gosh, that's like two carats or something. It, it stands out where you know it's worth a lot, where you know that it's valuable, where you know that it represents something very special. And that's kind of us. We're supposed to be those two carat diamond individuals. We're supposed to be holy. In, uh, in the culture that this was written in, um, they understood, especially Jewish people, um, 
and even in some of the pagan cultures, that there were just special utensils or vessels or things that were not to be used for average things. The closest thing we have to it, and it really does not do it justice, is maybe you've got like the set of your grandmother's china and you take it out for a special occasion. You don't put it outside, hey, let's use it for the camping trip, or hey, throw peanut butter and jelly on there, let's make some nachos on there. You save it for a special day, a special, it might even be, if you could think of like the, the cups you use to toast at, at a wedding, um, or maybe a turkey platter. Now, a lot of these are not, um, it's still nowhere near <laughs> that word holy, because this is actually talking about something that's not just something special, but I mean, leaps and, and, and bounds beyond your average uh, situation. I guess, you know, maybe if, I remember we were in Las Vegas a, a couple of months ago on vacation, and we walked by this store, and it looked like there were phone cases, you know, and it was all, had a guard in front of it, and it was all, you know, something. And we all went, what the heck is this little store in this hotel? And these are phone cases, right? Well, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, the first phone case starts at 5000 and, you know, the best one is $30,000 for a phone case. And I'm going, okay, those are not holy, but they're just not your average phone cases. Somebody that has that, somebody that's using that is, first of all, very wealthy. And secondly, these things were not just made, you know, in China or made in Taiwan or something, you know, with, by a, a manufacturing assembly plant. These were individually designed and they're only to be used by certain people for certain reasons. And, you know, that's what's saying is to present your body holy. You and I have got to get through our heads that we are special people now, not because we're anything in and of ourselves, but now we have a treasure within this vessel. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. It's not the vessel that makes us um, stand out in this culture. It's the treasure within it. It'd be like one of those black velvet boxes. I mean, you go into a jewelry store and there's tons of them. You know, there's just kind of thrown in there, but if that one had your wedding ring in it or your grandmother's, you know, opal ring or something, that case suddenly becomes so important because of what's inside of that. It's a chosen case for a chosen jewel. And we are to present our bodies knowing that we are not average any longer. We've been set apart for his purposes. We are chosen. We have his his mind, we have his spirit, and his thoughts towards us. It says we can't even number them. I mean, some of you guys are living so beat up because you're playing tapes about maybe what your husband says to you or what somebody said to you when you're younger, how you feel about yourself, and you're forgetting who God says that you are. Present your bodies acceptable to God. Present them holy instead of our. Some of you are involved in sin because you're not seeing that you're not supposed to be in that. I mean, a woman in her wedding dress is not supposed to be playing or riding in one of those races where they, you know, have mud that throws at you because she knows who she is. She knows what she's wearing. And we are to present our bodies holy. There were certain utensils and plates and instruments, and we are now to present ourselves to the Lord for whatever purposes he has for us. Some of you are struggling with despair. 
and depression because you don't really believe and you haven't really presented yourself saying, I want to be holy. I want to be separate for you. I don't want to be just like everybody at work or just the way, maybe your husband's not even a believer. I, I'm not supposed to be like everybody watching these same things, doing these same things. I am different and I feel it. I don't fit in. This is a good thing. We are not to be common vessels. Second Timothy 2.20 says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, in 2 Timothy 2, 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from just common things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. This word sanctified is the same thing as holy. And not just holy, but useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We need to, in these last days, present our bodies holy, cleanse ourselves of things that we don't really have time to be messing around with so that we would be useful to the master and we'd be prepared for every good work. We need to make it our aim to be vessels that are holy, and ready. You know, the more entangled we are in sin or compromise or just spending our energy on something that is draining us, we aren't really ready for the things that God wants us to do. You know, sometimes when you're in sin, you have all these, um, this drama that you really didn't need to have. And God's going, oh, you didn't need to have that drama. And you're so caught up in the drama with your mama that you don't even have time to even notice somebody's hurting to pray for them. Or to be that light at work because, you know, what you're involved in, you, you don't even want to tell people that you're a believer. And this is not where we're supposed to be in these last days. We are told that if we uh, will um, be used this way, we are to cleanse ourselves. This is not the cleansing of the blood in our account before God. This is the cleansing of our day-to-day -day lives of these things that just shouldn't be there. You know, there's another verse that was covered earlier, I believe, about running that race and, you know, laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And, you know, I can't tell you what that is, but I know who will. The Holy Spirit will say, enough, enough. This is just not who you are anymore. This is not where you should be. Get out of there. Listen to him. You are a child of the King. And if you want to operate in the authority that God wants to do through you, you got to live like you have that authority. You need to live according to the code of the king and not just as a commoner or peasant. Sanctified means to be set apart, uncommon, holy. And it says, why? Why should we? So we're ready for every good work. We have to be resolved to conduct ourselves in a way that fits our purpose and our identity as God has defined it. Some of you guys don't know who you are anymore because your choices are defining who you are. But really, you need to find out who you are and then make the right choices. We know that we were saved for works that God foreordained for us, that we should walk in them. If it says that in the scripture, it means there are some that are set up and some of us aren't walking in them. It's not late, though. It's not too late. That's why we're here today, that we need to put off childish things. It's time to rise up and be effective and be the salt and be the light of the world. We know that God has things designed for each of us based on our testimonies, 
our weaknesses, what we're forgiven of, our struggles that we've overcome. And, and it's like Cinderella's slipper. And God really wants us to be able to walk in those, but we have to cleanse ourselves from these wood uh, and, and, and just these common things we're involved in so that we can get to the gold and the silver experiences of our lives. God wants us to do this so that we're enabled to be used by him for every good work. Like that handmaiden who was waiting for her mistress. We're not to be distracted. And I mean, it doesn't mean that we just sit in our room all day and ask God, what do I do? It just means that while we're living our lives, we're always leaving that ear open. We're always leaving our eyes um, just focus on, well, maybe there's an opportunity here. And maybe there's something that God wants to reveal to me here, not just a work to do. Because sometimes that gets kind of funky. We're always thinking about doing, but also just absorbing the presence of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, that we would walk and, 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 and we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When people see our lives being able to absorb his goodness because we're not distracted by those fake good things that the devil or our flesh or the world puts there, they start wondering, who is this God that we serve? And this is why God cares so much about our lives being set apart for him because he has a whole world out there that he wants to know this great love and forgiveness. We have to be resolved to present ourselves moment by moment before him, to be ready in season and out of season. And again, I want to say not just to do or not just not to do, but just to even enjoy being in his presence. That handmaiden, when she would look to her servant, when she'd present her body right there, holy and set apart to serve her, um, I think she really loved this, this one that is being used there, that they had a neat relationship. She delighted to do her will. And she enjoyed, even when she wasn't serving, just being around the person that had authority over her. And really, we need to enjoy that fellowship that we've been given through Christ with our Father, with our God, to just enjoy Him and His presence and His favor. This is so important. We present our bodies not just militarily, yes, sir, yes, sir, but also we come in and say, hi, Dad. How are you doing? Oh, I love you so much. It's so good to see you today. It says it is our reasonable service. It's saying this is not unreasonable. This is something that makes sense. It has reason behind it that we would present ourselves, that we are not going to be abducted by God and he's going to suddenly like make us go, praise the Lord, I'm serving you. I'm, no, he gave us a will so that we would um, worship him with our will. Do you know how many times you can find the word will in the Bible? Do it sometime. If you go through everything in Psalms, you know, I will trust in the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will rise in the morning and seek you. I will call upon the name of the Lord. It's sometimes we get frustrated that we have a free will, but it's actually kind of neat because, because I have a will, I can choose things that God says I should do. And I can choose to not do things that God says I should not do. And every time I do that, I'm proving that I believe God more than my own desires or anything the world is saying. We worship him with our will. And this is why we present ourselves to him saying, I want, not my will, I want to do your will because you love me and I love you. And I know this is the best arrangement I could possibly have to try to live the short life 
that I have. It's, it's, and this, you know, it's interesting because this isn't being given to elders and to pastors and just leadership of the church. Like they're the ones that have to do this. It's to anyone who names the name of Christ. I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God, God's so merciful that you guys would just present your lives, your bodies, you know, acceptable to God, holy, set apart to be used by him, to live for him, to give the deed of your life over to him and live as a renter with one of the best landlords you could ever have. It, it's what we need to do and it's who we are. It's not a suggestion. It's an urgency and it's a begging that we do this. It says in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's not whether you and I say we know him. It's really, does he know us? What do you mean? God knows everybody. No, that's not what I mean. It's not what Jesus meant in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew 7, 21. This Matthew 7, 21, when we yield and we bring, not yield, but present, excuse me, present our bodies before the Lord, acceptable and holy, we are saying that we are not our own and we're not going to just go with our urges and our ideas and our own um, conclusions, but we're coming before him to get his directives for our lives. We are not just, we're going to depart from things he says are sin. We're not going to justify them. We're not going to legalize them. We are not going to get and surround ourselves with people who say it's okay we do them. We are going to depart from iniquity if we name the name of Christ. And if we do, it says the Lord knows those who are his. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is the thing, everybody goes, I confess Jesus is my Lord. Well, yeah, if you wanna say the word confesses, you said the name Lord, that's not what you're saved by, a word, Lord. It's the relationship of the Lord, the master, the mistress, the handmaiden, that he is in control of our lives. You can't just say somebody's your boss and not go to work for them. It doesn't make them their boss. You're not going to get any paycheck because you say they're your boss. Who's my boss? Who's my boss? Who's my boss? Who's my... That doesn't work. You have to be someone who works for him to get the desk, to get the paycheck. We can't just say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, and he's warning us, and I, I hope this does really sober us up in these last days. And to realize that those of us who might really be presenting our bodies wholly acceptable to God are going to have to know that in the midst of the church, there are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, but they're not really of the Lord. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22 of Matthew 7, many, 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 not a few, many. Oh, so sad. Many will say to me in that day, like they're going to see Jesus at the judgment seat. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, haven't we like prophesied in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders in your name. 
Like we, we had a, a thriving church. We had, we had ministries. We did all those spiritual things. It's going to be so sad. In verse 23, Jesus says, and then I, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. That they were doing all the spiritual things, but their life, they were not presenting their bodies holy unto the Lord, saying, "Where well, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll stop what you want me to stop. I'll do what you want me to do. These are people that just justified things that they were doing. They were not letting or, or presenting themselves to him, ready for him to be the Lord of their lives. They substituted religious things and spiritual things. You guys suck at a cut it in these last days. It is going to be what we do in secret that's going to prove whether we're a follower of Christ or not, not the things that people see. And if you are someone that has a public ministry and you're in front of people a lot, take heed. Be that much more concerned about your thought life, what you're doing at home, what you're looking at on the internet, the way you're choosing things. Are you presenting yourself, Lord, is this what you want me to do or don't want me to do? Stay in that intimate, personal, uh, presenting your bodies holy, your life, your personality, your choices, your priorities to the Lord. If we name his name, it says we're supposed to depart from iniquity and not practice lawlessness. This is our reasonable service and is appropriate for those who claim to belong to Christ. If we claim, if we profess, if we believe that we have made Jesus our Lord, he had better be Lord. And if you are still saying, well, I think and I feel, and you're still making decisions by being your own Lord, you might want to reconsider whether you have really been born again and whether you've really, you know, decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. This is a very important message for these last days, that we would know that to follow him, to say he is our Lord, means that we are going to come before him we are going to present our bodies acceptable to him. Not what we want to do, not what the church says is okay, not what the Supreme Court says is okay, not what our culture says is okay, but acceptable to God. And not, verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that all of us, as we present our bodies, can prove what is that good and that acceptable and that perfect will of God. Surrender afresh to him today. Present yourselves. Maybe you've been holding on to your own identity and your own choices. And today is the day to say, Jesus, I don't ever want to show up on judgment day and have you say, depart from me. I never knew you. I present my body holy and acceptable to you, God. This is my reasonable service. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this time. I pray that these words would go beyond just something we hear in our ears, but that your word would go in and search our lives and bring us to a firm resolve that, Lord, we are going to present ourselves and be the handmaiden ready to serve you as our master. In Jesus' name.